Hey there, listener. I want to thank you for listening to the National Land Realty Podcast. Now, please remember to like, share, and review our show. If you can, take a second, hit pause, and give us a quick review. It only takes about a minute to write what you think about the content that you hear on this show. Good or bad, we want to hear it. Thank you in advance. Now on with the show. Welcome to episode number 21 of the National Land Realty Podcast, where we discuss all things land. Our goal here is to inform, educate, and entertain those of you who own land or are interested in the buying and selling of land throughout the United States. My name is Mac Christian, and I am the Chief Marketing Officer here at National Land Realty. I'll be your host for this episode. Now, in this episode, I'm talking with Gabe Goodson out of Birmingham, Alabama. Gabe is a land agent for National Land Realty, he has a love for duck hunting, and he has been able to merge those two things into one fantastic career. Gabe regularly consults landowners on land improvements to increase the value and usability of their land, and picking out tracks that can cater to duck hunting is a specialty of his. Gabe sat down with me to talk about what you need to look for when you want to own private duck hunting property. Now, sit back and enjoy the show. I am sitting here with Gabe Goodson out of Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, Gabe graduated from Troy University and uh, has been a land broker or land agent with us for for two and a half years, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so uh, so Gabe, tell me a little bit, and, and we're going to get on the duck hunting, right? We're, we got to talk about duck hunting land because really it's that time of year. Uh, so tell me a little bit about your background and sort of your experience how long you've been with national land and and uh just sort of sort of your just your background in general yeah as far as my background i guess professionally wise i was in insurance for about six or seven years um you know it was kind of just looking for a change um i kind of kind of rolled into real estate having a little bit of a history in real estate with my, the, my family's businesses as far as rental properties um, and just saw that this might be a good fit for me as far as my love for the outdoors. And then also understanding the concept of what real estate is. Um, you know, my upbringing was, I grew up on the Coosa river. Um, so I'm a river rat and uh, anything in or around the water is very intriguing to me. Excellent. And so were you working life and health or were you property and casualty? Or? I was just property casualty. Property casualty. Okay. So, so you're, you're used to the, the sales routine and, and, you know, exactly. working with people and yeah, yeah. That, you know, what's funny is like those skills of, of actually interacting with people, those kind of professions are, are, you know, there's a lot of people in it, but learning those tools and stuff um, it's so valuable. And, and it's, you know, in varying degrees of success, but stuff like those, those insurance, you know, when you're working with insurance and stuff like that, um, it really, it really tees you up for something like real estate, right? It does. I mean, you wouldn't be surprised at the amount of people I talk to that have either been in real estate and now they're in insurance or they were in insurance and now they're in real estate. So they, they really go hand in hand. Yeah. It's very common that, that or finance you'll see it's, it's all service service industry sector that you, that you see sort of that, that sort of, you can bounce between sort of professions and still kind of be in the same, you know, personal interaction field. Um, but let's, let's not talk about insurance, man. I want to hear about duck hunting. So, uh, <laughs> so, so, so walk me through, you know, you, you deal with a lot of, uh, it, just given your area, right. There's a lot of, there's a lot of water and, and, you know, you're in a, you're in a migration area. Um, 
so so tell me just your your background sort of with duck hunting and and how you work with land and sort sort of maybe just your experience working with land that involves duck hunting yeah so a lot of that comes with you know like you said there Alabama's full of water. You know, we're, we're not in the dead center of a flyway by any means, but we do catch some spill off. And then the further north you get in Alabama, you know, a little bit better it gets. Um, but, you know, identifying a property is typically the number one. I mean, here you have to have water. So, you know, with coming water is waterfowl. Um, and it's just to what extent? It just depends on the year, right? <laughs> it does. It does. We need really, really cold winters here uh, to get the birds down. Uh, and, and with that being said, it, it can't just be cold, cold. It's got to be cold ice. And oh, snow. okay. So uh, that kind of drives them into your area a little heavier. It does. It does. And it's, it's directly affected. You know, we have local birds here that are year-round, a lot of geese. But once we get one of those years where it gets a lot of ice and a lot of snow up north, um, that, that's the best years that we can get so if I'm reading between the lines here, it, you know, given that the, the the migration can shift in and out of your area, when somebody in your area is looking, you know, for for that particular sort of recreation, right? When they want to do that, you need to make sure that that land is prime in order to draw birds in, right? It is, and you know, there's a couple different scenarios in that case. You know, is there already water on the property? As in, is there a creek, you know, or a stream, or a larger body of water like a river? You know, you really kind of need one of those, you know, a creek, a stream, water, or you've got to really have that to have the bones to produce a, you know, a property that's already set up for duck hunting. Now, on that being said, you know, you can also have a pond or, um, you know, a wetland that's already naturally there, maybe a beaver swamp. Um, and those areas are kind of already established and kind of already have the bones in order to make them more into a duck property. Yeah. And, and do you see very much in your area? I do. I do know some ingenious people go out there with with tarps or will like kind of a fake a body of water. Is that an option in your area, given that you kind of have to have it? Yeah, I've heard. Yeah, I've heard that, but I, that might be a more northern thing. Um, I, I don't know anybody personally that's done that in Alabama, um, but I'm not saying that it couldn't be done. There, there's a I don't know if you're familiar. So up here, I'm, I'm in Idaho and we have our Boise State University is kind of famous for having blue turf. And what's really funny is, is if you're around the turf very much, uh, you see flocks of geese and ducks come in for a hard land on that blue turf. <laughs> and it's not a very soft landing. So when they hit, it's kind of a bump skid roll when they hit that thing. And it's, I've always thought about that. Like, man, maybe just blue turf would be okay. <laughs> given there. Yeah. 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 Then landed down in a big bowl of concrete, I guess. Uh, I've heard that before, but um, I guess it can be done. And that's a, that's a, a good example right there. Well, you know, for, for our case, let's talk about doing things right with actual water instead of trying to fake it till you make it. So, so when you, when you're examining a piece of land, let's say, let's say you have a buyer and uh, you know, this person wants, a recreational tract geared towards waterfowl hunting. You know, what is the first thing that you look at? You said well, water source is obvious, but are you looking for moving water, standing water, or just any water? Or, or do you want to cultivate standing water? Yeah. So typically, you know, I'm, I'm wanting, you know, a river, creek, stream to be close to that. You know, and my, my strong zone for that is maybe two or three miles. 
Um, you know, and it's nice if you have live water on property, but as, as long as you're, you know, two or three miles, in my opinion, from a, a fairly decent body of water, you're in the strike zone. You know, that's kind of like phase one. Hey, you know, ducks will be flying in this area. And then when you go from there, you know, what, what does this property have to offer that I'm trying to identify as a potential duck trek? You know, and from there, it's does it have a stream or something that feeds into that larger body? Do we have, um, you know, like a natural low lying area in a field that might have sheet water when we get a good rain? Um, is it a wetland? You know, th- those are kind of the, the the kind of the tier two things that I look at. One is, you know, we've got to be close to a big water. Two is what kind of water can we get on this property naturally? And then three would be, you know, if I was to attempt to make a duck impoundment. Oh, so talk to me about that a little bit. The, the So a, a duck impoundment involves, and I realize the duck hunting, yeah, know this. I'm talking to people that like, maybe you're just like hobbyists. They're looking at this like, okay, so a duck impoundment, walk me through it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So a duck impoundment, that, that would be, you know, kind of the extreme as far as producing a property into just a, a pure duck track. Now that's going to include some dirt work. And then also how am I going to get the water in there? Um, and a lot of the duck impoundments you'll see, it, it's not only getting water in it, but it's getting water off of it. And that's to produce, you know, the certain soil that needs to be moisture levels. And, you know, what that gives you the ability to plant. And, and from there you, I mean, we can run down a huge rabbit hole is what all you can plant. But as far as just getting the main bones, you know, if you're a hardcore duck hunter, looking into getting an impoundment would be, you know, cream of the crop, in my opinion. Yeah. So how often, you know, you're talking about natural water sources. Do you see alternative water sources used very often? Like, I mean, even in the case of, you know, putting in a well to pump out into in, into a, you know, a, a pond area that's been created, or are you looking to like deviate an irrigation canal or something like that? I mean, do, do you see usage like that very often? I have not worked on a property yet where we've, we've done, you know, d- drilled a well, um, that, that would probably be the most extreme just because of the cost factor yeah, in that. Yeah. It's expensive. Most, mostly, yeah. Mostly it's just diverting the water that's already there, uh, diverting the water that's already there. Um, whether it's a creek or stream, you know, into the impoundment or into like a moist soil area. So, I mean, given that, like you're talking creeks and streams, but, but not typically irrigation then? Correct. Okay. Correct. Creek stream that's kind of already in place and you're just maneuvering it to where it'll benefit, you know, from a duck hunting standpoint. Yeah, I've always been curious about that, whether you could deviate, you know, a, a, an irrigation area to create, you know, because people do that for, for you know, retaining ponds, stuff like that. But wondering, like, you know, if you if you would be able to pull that off for a duck hunting, <laughs> I'm sure it's possible. But it's one of those, like, you, you got to work with the water rights on that, given the people that are downstream, <laughs> depending on how that is. Right. So, so, uh, so when you're wor- working with land to to kind of create an area that is, that is sort of primed up for ducks. How, what are you looking at in terms of kind of the overgrowth, like trees, shrubs, you know, the surrounding sort of plant life? Will that be a, can that be a barrier to entry as far as like bringing in animals? It can, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of benefit into having some smaller like buck brush and small saplings like that around the, the water. And that, that helps like the thermals as far as uh, keeping a duck, kind of safe you know that way they can 
you know, they can be in an impoundment or be in a moist soil unit, but they've also got that buffer zone as far as hiding from birds of prey. You know, they want to be somewhere that they can relax um, in the time that they're in, in water like that. And those things give good benefit. They also provide a lot of cover, you know, from a hunting standpoint of things as far as being concealed. So there's, so there's another question when you're, when you're looking at a property like this, you're saying, all right, I'm going to dedicate a good chunk of my money to pursuing this, pursuing this lifestyle, pursuing this, this interest of mine for duck hunting. Um, you know, are, are, does it matter or are you a proponent of you need to set up your, your shooting areas related to, you need to get out there in a boat, you need to wait out there. I mean, does it matter? Is, is there a benefit to either way of, of sort of like, targeting the hunt from a, from a boat or from, from walking in. Yeah. So that, that's the biggest benefit for me. You know, the area that I grew up hunting, it's a lot of public water. So like in that atmosphere, you have to be in a boat. Uh, as far as owning property, to me, the flexibility of being able to hunt out of a boat, um, you know, you can just, the concealment is so much better. Um, it doesn't take much to hide up under, you know, a tree in some shadows and um that concealment's really everything because the the, the duck's vision is just so sharp and if it, it takes one thing and, and if one bird bugs out and flares out the entire group's gone so you, you're not just hiding from one you're hiding from them all and, and that's a lot of sets eyes on you so as far as the concealment standpoint uh I, I like being you know knee deep in the water and up against a tree or tucked away in some buck brush so I'm going to say you tempted me and you mentioned we could go down a rabbit hole on plants. Let's go down the rabbit hole a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there's kind of two, two, two ways to look at it. You know, a lot, there's one thing in an impoundment and that would just be planting crops. Um, that could be anything from wild rice crops, uh, millet, um, milo, soybean, corn. Those are your more planted things. Um, you know, millet grows so easy. Um, down here, a lot of people plant Japanese millet. It puts out a really big seed head. Um, and I think it's only a 60 or 90 day to get to maturity. And you can really throw that directly in the water. And it'll kind of wash up on the banks or if you have a mud flat or anything like that. And it really, it, it, it produces a lot of food. So you're talking um, your other side. Of Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so the, the, you know, and then on the other side of things, when you're looking at uh, something that would be a moist soil unit, that would be stuff that's growing more naturally in a wetland. Um, those things you have like wild celery, pondweed, duckweed, milfoil, um, things that are naturally in the soil already that waterfowl are going to be attracted to. And then even on the other side of things, you know, in a moist soil unit, some of that sand wet year round. Um, you'll also see a lot of invertebrates and a lot of ducks like to eat snails and small crustaceans and stuff like that. Yeah. So you're talking about plants that are, they're very, you know, what, what do you want? Is it hydrophilic? Hydrophilic, right? The, 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 the like water. Um, Correct. Yeah. And, and that's stuff that's, you know, naturally in the seed beds and that stuff that that's, it, you know, it kind of just imprinted in the soil over years and years and years. I, I realize I probably used that term completely incorrectly. I think that talks about like water absorption, but maybe it works for the plants. You know what? Some I'll, I'll let a horticulturalist correct me somewhere in the reviews, and uh, and we'll. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, when when you're when you're looking at you know like 
a lot of people look at mixed use, right? Like they'll pick up land and there's a corner of it that's marshland. Like maybe I can turn it into, into duck hunting. How often do you see people just purchase land just for like, I want to duck hunt on this land or, or is it usually mixed use that you see? <clears throat> yeah, I would say a little bit of mixed use, um, you know, with, with some of that habitat, you know, especially if it's an impoundment or something that could stay dry, you might see people also duff on that area. And, you know, down here in Alabama, we're in deer country, you know, there's pretty much mid deer everywhere. So, um, you know, I think the further north you go, or maybe more closer to the flyway, you might find properties that are more, you know, 100% duck properties where you're flooding, you know, 85, 90% of them. And that's really what they're catered to. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I am, I, I, I get routinely jealous of, of the amount of game that you guys have down there. I, my buddies and I here up North, like we'll, we'll run a hundred miles in a year, just hiking around and we'll get one deer. You guys don't have that situation. There's a, there's a lot in that country. I know we're kind of blessed here because it's, we, it's pretty good of everything. You know, we don't yeah. have world-class whites have good deer hunting. We have good Turkey hunting you know, uh, waterfowl, dove, small game. So it's kind of, we've got like a, a little slice of everything. Nothing's uh, above the rest, but it, it's kind of like a smorgasbord, I guess you could say. Yeah. I had somebody tell me down in, in, in Alabama that in one day you can go out and fish for reds in the salt water or fish for whatever you want in the salt water, come inside, hunt an alligator. If you want to go out, hunt deer, hunt Turkey, all in the same sort of like in a certain, you know, mile radius, right? Like from the coast you can move in and hunt for anything you want or fish for anything you want. It's just, it's a, it's a really good habitat. Um, oh, yeah. I don't want to hijack the conversation and go off on other, other things here. Uh, but uh, so, so when you're, when you're working with someone, um, what are some things to avoid? What do you not want if you want to pull in ducks to your property? Yeah, I, I guess, you know, the biggest thing, what you don't want is it to be in an area where you're easily encroached on. Um, as far as, you know, if it was a smaller property, you really don't want a lot of other duck properties just smashed around yours or, you know, you don't want a lot of structures or, you know, you don't want with, with ducks, especially on private land, you know, the biggest thing is, and what makes it so beneficial is, is the amount of rest that an area can get, you know, as far as you don't want people blowing in and out of there, um, kicking up your birds, because that that's number one thing, in my opinion, in order to create a good waterfowl property is you have to allow the animals to rest. So I, I would, I would say anything that would be a big turnoff or a big no is something that a property that might put the, put the ducks in a situation where they can't rest naturally. Gotcha. Okay. So, and, and when you're talking about keeping out, you know, traffic from, from adjoining properties or adjacent properties, uh, what's sort of the minimum, and I, I realize this is kind of a hard one to say, but what, what do you generally look at for a minimum size range that you would consider like, okay, you can duck hunt this or if someone's looking at something that's too small. It's like, okay, you, you could, but maybe not. Um, you know, when yeah. people are looking. That's going to be really like kind of on a per case instance, like not to give just a blanket statement, but you know, you can really get away with 20 acres and have a pretty good duck property. Um, as long as it's, you know, set apart and there's not, like I said, a lot of foot traffic, you know, you don't have any easements or anything through the property that might give somebody the ability to maybe not meaningfully knock your birds up or anything like that or disturb them. But as long as it's just a very quiet track, I think you can get away with 20, you know, 20 acres. And then on the other end of things, you know, it'd be nice if you had closer to a hundred where you might be able to have 
two or three smaller impoundments that are spaced out to where you could, you know, by shooting one hole, the other two holes are further off and off to where you're not disturbing them. So you, so, so that, that would be one duck hole per 20 acres, you know, okay. you could probably get away that kind of as a rule of thumb is being able to have enough distance from anything else to where they can still rest and, um, you know, kind of load up in those holes. So if someone's looking in the, in the, like the one to five acre range, you'd probably be like, eh, it's not going to be as doable. That's correct. Correct. Is that because, is that because of what you were talking about with, with other traffic or is it just merely like how you handle the land and how, how ducks come into it? Mostly just other traffic. You know, I've read some studies that say it, it'd be better. Say if you had a hundred acre track, it would be better to have three or four small impoundments meaning like one to maybe maybe three to five acre impoundments on a hundred acres, as opposed to having one impoundment that was, you know, 40 acres large. And I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, those dogs can get up and go to different impoundments that are on property. Uh, that size is a little bit more condensed. They can kind of keep their head on a swivel a little bit more as far as, you know, not so much hunters, but just, just animals of prey that are, that are out to get ducks. Yeah, and it sounds like it's it's almost a I would say almost an opposite line of thinking of when you're planning for sort sort of a deer hunting tract, right? Where with, with when you're cultivating for deer, you want to see what your neighbors do and make sure that everybody's on the same page so that you get a good population up. And and you obviously are going to try to outdo everybody with with what you do as terms in terms of forage and cover but you want your neighbors on the same page because if they're not doing anything to cultivate deer, you're probably not going to get as high of a population with, with, with when you're looking at duck hunting, you, you sort of don't want your neighbors competing as much for that because they have more places to land and they're not as picky probably in those places. Like, you know, water's water in a lot of situations to where, and then they're not going to be like bouncing from pond to pond through that area. It it just seems like a different kind of, um, kind of a management routine. Am I, am I hearing that right? Yeah, I would say so, you know, and on the other side of things too, you know, ducks are kind of back burner to a lot of people in Alabama, you know, they'd, they'd rather be deer hunting, especially that time of year. So think about it that way too. You know, your neighbor might have a really good swamp or pond on their property, but they're not duck hunting it. So that's almost like a small refuge that could be, you know, right beside you that either, Hey, he's still in your ducks, not hunting them, but that's still okay. Cause at least you're keeping them in the strike zone. Um, you know, and then you can even go down and say, well, man, it'd be nice if you could hunt their property, but a lot of deer hunters don't want people out, you know, shooting ducks at the crack of daylight, you know, and messing up their deer hunting and putting pressure on their deer. So, you know, in, in that outlook of things, it's not a bad thing if your neighbor has water, if they don't hunt it, you know, cause that's just better habitat for the general area. Kind of like you're saying with deer, you know, if your neighbors are on the same page, um, you know, it's going to be beneficial for whitetail. Yeah. And, and so talking about sort of, um, you know, everybody shooting at the crack of dawn, what is the, what is the distance that you want to consider in your shooting lanes so that you're not dropping steel on your neighbors? Yeah. So, you know, out on the, when you're, you're out hunting public water, it's 150 yards from, you know, any dwellings that's like piers, structures. So, uh, you know, rule of thumb, especially if it's private property, you know, I'd say probably 200 yards just to be very conservative of it. 
Gotcha. Yeah. So that you don't, uh, so that you don't pepper somebody's house or somebody's dog or somebody's or somebody, right? Exactly. So how long have you been working with this? How long have you been sort of, you know, working with, with, I mean, do you target specifically duck hunting land or is, is this something that's sort of a byproduct of where you are? This is just kind of like a byproduct of where I am. And, and I have just, I have a love of duck hunting and I think they're very intriguing animal, you know, cause they can just pick up, up and go. Um, and I, and I think a lot of times I tell people, I, I love the unpredictability of a waterfowl, you know, I know they like water food and they need to rest, but it's, it, they're just an amazing animal just because in a, in a drop of a hat, they're gone, you know, and you'll never see them again. You know, their range is so large as when you, you know, compared to whitetail, cause here again, that's just what we have an abundance of here. Their home range is, you know, I think a square mile or so. So it's just kind of wild to, to compare the two. Um, and that, that's kind of what I've, what, why I find it intriguing and what I, what I find very fun about properties that contain duck habitat on them is just kind of learning more and being able to see, you know, what they do and how they act in different scenarios. Yeah. So when you're, so if you're taking, and this is, this is probably a terrible question, uh, but if, if you're looking at, let, let's say, uh, basic land has some standing water has water feeding into it so it's not just like totally standing water um how much on average should someone bank on spending when they pick it up to really make it prime yeah here again i can make a really big blanket statement on that but you know if water's there i mean you can get something in the, in the, in the soil as far as planting millet, you know, it's just, is the water going to be there? Is it going to stay? And if it is, I mean, a bag of millet, 50 pound bags, like 30 or 40 bucks. So, I mean, it can be as cheap as that (laughs) as expensive as building a duck impoundment. That's, you know, a two acre impoundment for $50,000 and then a 20 or $30,000 pump on top of that. So I know that's a very wide range, but you know, rule of thumb, if it's got the bones, it, it can be something that is not, you know, a, a bank buster, you know, if most properties have some sort of a low spot on it. And here again, in Alabama, we're so fortunate because we have water everywhere. I mean, just creek streams, all that. So, I mean, though it's very often when, you know, I'm working with a buyer and they're telling me what they need on a property, whether it's, you know, regular recreation property, you don't even have to be a duck property, but everybody's going to say they want water. And it's very often, I mean, it's, you know, 70% of properties are going to have some kind of water feature on them. It seems like in, in the areas that I work. That's amazing because I, I mean, you know, out West, we're looking at drought conditions where people are begging for water. And if you have water on your property, it's like a prime, <clears throat> prime location. It's a big deal. And, and you look at some of the areas like Alabama, where it's just everywhere is just, is mind boggling to me. Um, so yeah. So what, what are sort of, um, you know, you, you mentioned several rules here as far as like things you want to consider things that you don't want to, you know, things that you don't want to have on your property. What about, um, what about predators? You know, is that something that you, you want to maintain? I don't know how much that factors in you know, something getting into the water there. I know that you guys have, you guys have the reptilian things, man, that just like are that I don't see very often. So I can imagine that that could ruin a hunt or two. Yeah. So we, you know, I don't run into that problem that much here ever here where I'm at central Alabama, but you know, when you get down to the coast, you know, people can't hunt with dogs in a lot of those situations just because there, there are alligators there. I've heard quite, quite a many times, you know, there's a special till season that's, 
typically I think it's three weeks long or two weeks long in September. And, uh, you know, of course you're not hunting with a dog there, but I've heard plenty of times down in South Alabama where, you know, they'll have a group of birds come in, shoot a couple of them, and then you'll just see the gators come out, you know, and pick them off. That's a, a easy snack. Yeah, that's because something I was always curious about. Like, like okay, duck hunting in Alabama sounds terrifying. <laughs> yeah, what's you know, it's wild is like we have we have alligators up in Decatur, like in North Alabama. Um, I don't know if it's just the river. You know, we'll get one out on the rivers that I grew up on every once in a while, and it's usually just somebody dumping a pet. You know. Oh, really? Um, okay. But yeah, but typically once it gets cold. I mean, I've seen photographs. I've never seen one in live, like real person. You know, I've never seen one real time where I'm where I'm hunting and seeing alligator. But I've seen photographs of them that you know they're laying at the bottom of the water, just lethargic. Um, but it's you know the water temps um, yeah, are yeah. so cold and their blood's so cold that they they can barely even move. Gotcha. Okay, I was I was just curious if, if predators affect what you're hunting down there. Um, yeah, and it's and, you know it's really going to be the prey, and there's there's really nothing you can do about that. You know, as far as getting rid of them, you know, you can maybe hang up some scare. I've heard of people put scarecrows out and stuff like that. But here again, that might kind of run your ducks off as well. But, you know, little things like that to try to try to get birds of prey, maybe not wanting to zone in on an area. Uh, but you're kind of got your hands tied because there's you can't you can't take them out like you can, you know, coyotes, bobcats, stuff like that. Yeah, you can't exactly um, so trap a hawk. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think they frown upon that. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, um, you know, any other things that, that somebody should consider, you know, if they're, if they're looking at this kind of habitat, if they're looking to, to sort of cultivate land for waterfowl hunting. Yeah. I really think that the best thing really, if, if you're someone that's interested in purchasing a property that, that either A is already set up for a duck property or B is something that could be potentially developed into one is, is probably reach out to someone that is, you know, in that field um, that, uh, that specializes in waterfowl. Um, you know, I tell people a lot of times when I'm working with them, um, you know, Hey, I want to help you out, but also want to, I don't want to waste your time. You know, you can waste a lot of time as far as a consumer standpoint of looking at a lot of properties that have no potential, you know, and you might be going out to, view these properties or spend a lot of time doing research on those properties. And I tell my buyers all the time, Hey, I can kill a, pro I can kill a property for you in just a couple minutes. Meaning I can, I can see the red flags just cause I've been on so many tracks. I can almost look at maps a lot of times and just say, you know, Hey, this is something worth taking a peek at or be like, we just need to move on to the next. Now I would say if, if you were in the market to buy something like that, you really just need to reach out to a land professional that has a specialty in waterfowl, um, you know, to get the, to get the ball rolling. That's a, that's a terrific, terrific point is as far as, because, you know, easiest eyes on the ground are somebody that works with land a lot. And if somebody specializes in that area, that's definitely somebody to talk to like yourself, right? <laughs> All right, man. Well, um, Hey, it's, you know, pleasure talking with you about this. Uh, tell me, tell me a little bit about how does somebody get a hold of you? Where do you usually work? And, and besides, besides duck hunting and, and waterfowl, what is your specialty in the market? Yeah, right now, you know, I do a lot of reg tracks. Um, I do, you know, pretty much a lot of 40 acres and up, uh, close to town, which town would be Birmingham, uh, Jefferson County, Chilton County, Shelby County, 
St. Clair County, kind of that area. I leak a little bit over to Talladega. And then I did go up north, um, you know, to uh, dog properties up that way. Uh, the best way to get in touch with me is call me. Uh, my cell phone, that's 205-365-8388. And you can find me on pretty much any social media platform uh, by searching Alabama Land Broker. Excellent. And I'll have your uh, I'll have your information in the links, too, as well as to your national land page. Uh, side note, tell me, like, what's the coolest property that you've ever worked with, sold or listed? Yeah, I, <clears throat> I had one earlier this year that I helped a couple buy, I think, in 2020. Um, and it was a property that got it was listed for about three years. And it was your typical. It had one picture on the listing and it was just a map. So nobody really knew what it was. Uh, it was a very, it was a pretty small track. It was only 34 acres. Um, and anyway, helped them acquire that property um, in 2020. And then we turned around and sold it at the beginning of this year. And they made uh, well over a hundred thousand dollars profit on it after not sitting on it that long. But it was, it was just kind of cool to be there the entire process um, as far as pursuing the property, purchasing it, doing the correct upgrades to the property and then getting it professionally marketed um, and, and finding a buyer um, at a, you know, a much, a much higher price than they purchased it for. So that, that was probably the funnest one for me just because I got to see full circle from both sides of it. Um, and, and it was, it was, then they, of course, my clients were very, very happy. So, so you, you sat on the market for three years, you came in and consulted on upgrades and talked to them about things they can do to improve the land. And then they sold it for, for a good chunk of profit. What were those upgrades and how did you decide that? Yeah. So they, um, they actually came in and put a tiny home on it. Uh, they've got power water, uh, did a septic tank. Um, and then also just kind of cleaned it up aesthetically. The property had good bones. It wasn't, it just, the reason it had set so long is just because it, nobody knew what it was, you know? And I think when they were being shown the property, they, they kind of walked in the gate and looked around and said, Oh, this, this is it, you know? So, um, by doing those, putting in a, a, a road system in, internally, so somebody can kind of get around and see what, what they're buying, you know, I think that was a big thing with it. What enabled you to sell it so fast with, you know, it had been marketed before and you mentioned there was like, obviously going up against one picture and a map is going to be easier, but what did you actually do to make it so appealing? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, of course I, I go in and do photography. Um, and I kind of hold a lot of pride in that as far as just regular photography and then also drone work. Um, you know, video, I'll put a video together and um, get good aerials. And then back on the whole national land thing, what's so beneficial to national land is, you know, the land tour 360, I was able to utilize that. So people can kind of see a real time Google map image that, you know, they can, they can use zoom in, zoom out, pan around, see what's on property, what's off property. So, it, you know, the first time when, when I helped them buy it, you know, nobody knew what it was online. You had to physically go out there and look at it. And then even from that standpoint, going out there and looking at it, you really, there wasn't anything to see, you know? So being able to bring in what technology we have available um, and somebody really gets a good idea of what the property is before even going out there and then having the tools and functionality and I guess professionalism to know how to show a track, um, you know, as far as me being an agent that specializes in land, you know, I can show a buyer what, what they need to see in order to make a decision if it's something they want or not want. So I think that was the biggest thing with that. Hey, can you describe land tour 360 to me from your point of view and what it does? Yeah. 
And what I think is very beneficial for it is, so what it is, is it's basically like an interactive Google map is what I tell people. And it's, it's real, you know, it's real time from the time I go out there, you know, so sometimes when you'll look at maps or you'll look at like GIS imagery of an area, it might look one way, but you know, if it's, that picture was taken four years ago and the new owner has gone in and put in food plots or cut roads. You, you can't really see that unless you go out there and look at it. The benefit to the land tour 360, I think is you're showing people what the property is at the time it's either listed. And even if it is listed you can go back out there and fresh them up depending on the time of the season. So they have a real good idea, you know, what they're going to go look at before they even go look at it. So it kind of takes a lot of question out of, you know, what's out there because it, it's right there in front of you from, you know, the comfort of your home or yeah, yeah. From your iPhone or looking at it on. Um, and, it, and, you know, and everybody, you know, time is money, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, in all reality, I mean, if you have a Saturday to go look at three properties, you know, you want to know what three properties you're going to go look at. Um, Cause you know, that could take a whole day depending on what your, what size tracks you're looking at. So I'd rather narrow it down and go show somebody three properties that I think that they know that they'll like as opposed to spending a month throwing them, showing them three properties every weekend, you know, yeah, and only yeah. two or three of them be, that they'd halfway be interested in. So yeah, to yeah. me, the beneficial of it is, you know, the time is money, whatever, but being able to know what you're going to go look at. Yeah. I was going to say, it's, it's such a cool thing to be able to have like a 3d rendering that you can, that you can fly through and, and look through in, in, in the same manner of, of a, like a bird's eye perspective where you're not just looking at a stagnant photo, you get to rotate your point of view and see the topography. And you can even zoom into videos from the ground, from that perspective. I just, it's such a fascinating technology. Um, last question I wanted to ask you is, uh, do you have any, do you have any unique, different, crazy stories from the field or interactions that you've had? Mm, any crazy? Um, I'm, looking really, those, I mean, I'm looking for those campfire stories. <laughs> you know, I haven't been chased by any animals or anything like that. I, I can't really think of anything too crazy or anything. I, I should probably just dream up something just to, so I could win that. Word. <laughs> But no, I mean, other than, you know, just getting cussed out by neighbors, maybe, <laughs> you know, getting yelled at by people thinking I shouldn't be where I'm supposed to be. I had one yesterday where I was showing a property, not that it was crazy, but I was showing one of my listings and uh, the the landowner gets a text from one of the neighbors saying I'm on their property, you know, uh, and I told the, the, the person that owns the property, I said, you know, I'm not. I'm not trying to sell your neighbor's property. Why would I be over there? You know, they were saying I was 50 yards from their house and all this. So I, I think people, you know, just dreamers, just people being people, I guess would be the craziest thing. That happens, um, especially but, in rural areas, man. Like I, I, I bought a new truck and went to my mom's house and it's in the middle of the country. It's like five acres from the neighbor. And here comes the neighbor bopping along the road just to see who I was. And, and like, it stood there at the top of the hill, hands on the hips, you know, st staring at me, trying to make sure that I was in the right. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I'll tell you one thing. It was, it was probably my first, one of my first listings I ever got was 80 acres. <clears throat> and I went out there to kind of go evaluate the property and I'm walking around and I see, um, I forget what it was. It was like, I think it was barbed wire or maybe like a lead cable that was kind of wrapped around in a triangle shape. Um, you know, the trees were fairly close, you know, smaller proximity of like the bed of a truck. And I was sitting there looking at it and it was probably six or eight feet up in the air. And I was like, what is that over there? And I walked over to it and it was a open uh, well that was, I, I don't know how deep. Oh, I mean, God. I threw a rock off, you know, counted to seven or eight or so before it hit the bottom. 
And, uh, you know, when I got off the property, I said, Hey, is there a, a water, you know, water well on this property? And the guy was like, Oh yeah. Da, 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 da. So I guess, you know, that, that might be not, not that that's really crazier. It just was something that I guess I was just a greenhorn, not expecting to, you know, I'm sitting there looking for snakes and stuff, not looking to fall down a 80 foot <laughs> hole, you know? Yeah. Nobody expects an 80 foot death trap in the middle of the woods. <laughs> no, not at all. I, I oh, guess man. that would close to scare or anything like that that i've had so far but we'll see <laughs> had to ask i had to ask well hey man i i appreciate your time had you budgeted for an hour i don't want to i want to like hold you here all day but i uh, just want you to know i appreciate your time and expertise on this uh so, so thank you very much yeah thanks for having me on i enjoyed it this concludes episode number 21 for the National Land Realty Podcast, discussing how to pick duck hunting properties with Gabe Goodson from Birmingham, Alabama. You can learn more about land ownership and the buying and selling of land at nationalland.com. Quick reminder, please like, review, and share our show. Our show doesn't get found if people don't talk about it and hit that like button. So if you found this show valuable, others will too. Make sure to share it. As we get reviews, we'll share them on the podcast. Now, thank you again, and we'll see you next time.